and well met traveler and welcome to tavern watch i'm your host joe perez and with me are my traveling compatriots and co-hosts matt rossi and liz harper how are you doing today howdy, howdy things are happening indeed things are happening and uh not uh, pretty much everywhere and including uh recent news and what's been going on with the tabletop space so much so that we decided that this is essentially a part two uh to what we first discussed with wizards of the coast and the ogl um, that's probably going to dominate a good portion of our discussion. Uh, and before we get to that, I don't know if Liz, if you wanted to mention, uh, anything specifically about, you mentioned that there's another book coming out that you're kind of, ex- kind of excited about, but not kind of excited about. Do we want to talk about that before uh, we go uh, into the re- OGL stuff? Uh, yeah, sure. We can lead with this. Uh, Keys from the Golden Vault is a new D&D adventure anthology. It's due out on February the 21st, or you can pre-order it with a physical copy which also gives you early access to the digital copy which means you could be reading it right now that's a whole situation i'm not really i don't know what i think about that that's just that's weird and awkward and it cuts your local game store out of it and like if i want the special cover that you only get from local retailers i have to order it digitally and then go and go to the local real like it's a whole complicated thing it's like these digital physical bundles like the advantage would be simplifying this and instead it's just as complicated if not more but it's an anthology of adventures about heists and it just sounds they all sound really fun and i really want to play this book but at the same time wizards of the coast has also been really screwing stuff up now and i don't even know if i should be excited about a new dungeons and dragons book I haven't even pre-ordered it yet. Not even the digital version. So, I don't know. Uh, what about you two? Are you familiar with this book? Are you excited about it or interested in it? I'm familiar with it. Um, the thing is, is Wizards has put out a lot of really good content. I'm, you know, divorced from the things we'll be talking about today. They put out a lot mm-hmm. of really good content over the past, I'm going to say two years. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've gotten a lot of it. Some of it, you know, I didn't have to pay for, but a lot of it I did. And I'm kind of at the point where it's like, I, unless there's a really compelling reason for me to spend money on a book of adventures, I'm just not going to do it. Um, with Star, with like a Spelljammer, Spelljammer had like campaign idea stuff in it. You could run like a whole campaign. You could use your own, do your own adventures, but you would have the setting to, to play in. Whereas this isn't, I, I, I compare it to uh, Journey Through the Radiant Citadel, um, mm-hmm. which was, I think, one of the better books they've put out and the adventures are really interesting. Uh, and I actually liked, uh, I managed to run part of one for you guys uh, briefly and it's just having time. It's yeah. Tough. It's, it's time. And there's a lot of other things to it. Like there's just, this always happens with, with games. They always, in order for someone once pointed out that this is not a profession, like working in, in role-playing games it, for a very few people, this can be your job. But for most people who are in the hobby, who are in there professionally, it's their second job. Yeah. Because it just isn't enough. Like, no, there's not enough product being sold. So they, every company makes more and more of it. Like, yeah. they just, you know, we have to get more books out because we need to get more money. No. And it's, it's, it's not like, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but we always end up at a point where there's just so much stuff part yeah. that. You know, it's like I can't, I can't get the Crin book and this book and Spelljammer, and you know, just at some point I've got to make a call. And and the vault has so far been, I'm gonna not buy that. There's, not that it's bad, just just that's been my call. Yeah, and I'm I'm sort of in the same boat, right? Like this is something that I would normally be very very excited about. Uh, and as somebody who works on the retail side of the hobby as well, it's something I would also be very excited about because usually this is the time where we're like taking pre-orders and and getting them set aside and you know putting putting up like the alternate covers and and trying to secure those but after everything that's happened recently and in the conjunction with what Matt's talking about it's there's not enough demand right now and even though like the idea of the core concept of these adventures is something that I'm super into I love running heist uh, adventures and things like that 
there's just too much product when it comes to wizards. Um, there's sort of like this flood of books that come out and you don't really realize it until you take a step back and take a look at your bookshelf. Sometimes I've bought every fifth edition book that's come out minus a handful that we did receive for review. Um, my shelf is full. My shelf is full to the point where like I have to buy a new bookshelf because it is falling down uh, with the weight of these books. But then I, the other day I'm sitting here trying to find spots for some of the other books that I just got in and I'm looking at them and I'm like, when's the last time that I pulled the Icewind Dale book off the shelf? When's the last time that I pulled, uh, you know, the, the hall of the storm giants and, and, and all those, those books off, like I've bought them. And at the time I used them, but they just sat there because once I got what I needed out of them, I either transferred it over into like notes or whatever, or in a lot of cases, wizards has released some of the content in those and other compilation books. We talked about, uh, Morton Kanan's multiverse and, uh, Tome of Foes and, uh, Tasha's cauldron, uh, Tasha's cauldron of everything. And Xanathar's guide to everything. Like all of these compilation books took some of the best bits of almost every publication that they had and just kind of threw them in there, which is good and better for people that didn't buy the other books, but it's like that lowers the incentive to buy those books too. And, I don't know if I can in good conscience give them my money with what they're doing with the digital stuff. Cause this is another sticking point for me too. Right. And this is not the first time they've done this. They did this with, with uh dragon Lance. They did this with Crin, where order it and you get advanced digital copies of it before anywhere else, but only if you get it directly from them and it's a special physical bundle and all this other stuff. And they're trying to push people into a digital format. And we've already talked about it where like digital formats good, but it's a double-edged sword because if you do that, the people who buy those digital, those digital ones or buy the books directly from wizards at the same price that they would buy it from a local game store are then not, not buying it from a local game store. And that yeah, does and the margins are so thin in, in, in a RPG retailing that doing anything, like the idea of not just having the digital option, but making it so that that's the, fastest way to get it like do you want it now or do you want it in two in three weeks well if you want it now there's our digital option it's like you just basically cat kneecapped your retailers you only get it you only get the early access if you buy the digital physical bundle yes yeah you have to buy the full business the full bundle yeah you have to buy yeah You've got you to buy just it from order online wizards. digitally. Yeah, you've yes. got to buy it from Wizards specifically, which is it's like it literally reminds me of those hockey movies where a guy is skating towards the goal and suddenly someone just comes in and smashes him. And yes, this is my moment of Canadianness. Uh, but seriously, it's like that's that's what Wizards is doing. They're well, they're literally capping people. Like, this, it's like wow. Okay. But this this feeds into a larger picture though too, and we talked about this a little bit last time, and it feeds into the OGL stuff is there's been a push under Hasbro for what's called Blueprint 2.0. Uh, and that is squeeze as much money out of your product lines as you can. And part of this was spurned, uh, spawned from the fact that in 2021 and 22, the Watsi side of the house, which Hasbro had largely left alone at that point, mostly, not, not totally, um, saw that magic became a billion dollar product line and because of that now they want all of their product lines to be a billion dollar product line and how do you do that you edge out retailers you edge out distribution you maximize what you can get from that because again if they don't have to print a book that reduces the physical cost that reduces the cost of production if they're charging the same as a retailer they're making a higher margin on that for the the return on investment because Matt said the margins are razor thin. Um, out of a sixty dollar book, the retailer might make fifteen bucks, maybe, and that's before calculating overhead. Just throwing that. Um, and then you constantly inject product because the more you do product, the more content you put out there, the more money people are spending, the more money you're generating in a year. We talked about this in one of our first tavern watches, and we even talked about this with Greg when he was on the podcast. Um, they used to release maybe three books a year. Sometimes, yeah. Less. When this edition first came out, it was not it was not churning out content. It was a steady cycle, and now we're averaging four core books and usually four supplemental books that are also published either in conjunction with Wizards or are uh, 
supported or sort of advertised by blizzards or by by wizards wow yeah sorry. wizards we gotta I, start covering I something that isn't the, a zerd sound I, yeah i keep thinking of the uh, the, the simpsons <laughs> meme of uh marge walking in yelling at bart but it's lisa that's doing it and bark going what did i do and, and marge goes on i'm sorry it's just force a habit <laughs> sorry go ahead liz <laughs> uh we do know that wizards of the coast is putting out six dungeons and dragons this year which is a lot. That means every other month we're getting yeah. a book. So we're yeah. getting one at the end of this month, and then in two more months we're getting another one. Um, da, 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 da. We are getting Keys from the Golden Vaults is this month. Then we're getting Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants, which will be everything you ever wanted to know about giants. Maybe yeah, it's, it's like the dragon that. book that they put out last year, but for giants. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, the, uh, how do you even say this? The Flandelver campaign? Flandelver. Yeah, it's classic D&D. See, sometimes they put out these classic D&D things and they mean nothing to me. And then everyone else is really excited. And part of the problem is they never seem, they don't seem to advertise these things well, very well. They don't seem to explain them well. It's like they expect you to know what this is. And I don't know what this is. So it just, um, we're also getting any better. I never played it. Yeah. So. We are getting yeah. Planescape. So we cannot know things. We cannot, we cannot know things together. But yes, yeah. there's Planescape. There's the Book of Many Things, which I think is going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, that's it. That is it. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's pretty, pretty full. Yeah. But that's, that's plenty of stuff. And don't get me wrong. Like, Planescape is something that I would normally be very, very excited about. I love Planescape. And if they were to announce a Dark Sun book, I'd probably lose my mind. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's just it's too much. So now I'm at the point where... I have to pick and choose what I'm picking up in a year, which is fine. It's kind of how it should be. Um, but my collecting brain is going to go haywire that I don't have all the books. Um, that's a me thing. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, it, it, I got over that a long time ago just because I, I simply cannot do it. Uh, and with 5th edition, for a while, I could do it. Like, they weren't putting out that much stuff in a year. I think two or three. And one of the books was usually just, like, Tales of the Yawning Portal when it came out. It's like the prototype for all the stuff they've done since. I think it's the prototype for the, the heist book. Um, you know, the Golden Vault book is pretty much the yawning portal types. It's that type of scenario. And that's fine. But we're at a point now where, like, I, I couldn't get the Ravenloft book last year. Yeah. There's just so much stuff. And I was like, I got to I gotta not get something. No. And I don't, do, I don't do a ton of horror gaming. I mean, I was going to get Wishlight. I was going to get, you know, it just was like, okay, I, I, I'm going to have to let something go and it's going to be Ravenloft. I mean, that's just, I'm not going to use it enough to, to justify it. So, yeah, it, it, at the same time, though, Golden Vault does seem cool. Like, it's it's a different approach to adventuring. It's sort of like Candlekeep candle was. Candlekeep, yeah. Yeah, where it, it deviates. And, and Liz was doing an amazing Candlekeep campaign, and I'm sorry she didn't keep doing that. Uh, it's <clears> so <throat> much. I eat. The thing is, I want to do the same thing we did with Candlekeep for... Yeah, uh, Golden Vault, because it sounds like these sound like so many fun one shots, except then it's such a project. Yeah. And, 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 and to be clear, we're not talking bad about the people that make the products or, or the quality of the products oh, themselves. No. Right. And I want to make sure that's perfectly clear to our listeners. We're we're critical of the speed, the cost that's associated with it as a consumer, the method of delivery. Uh, which has seemingly to try to push people more and more to a digital content uh, release, also to a platform that they control. So if they ever decide that your account is done or you can't recover it for whatever the case, you lose those books that you purchase digitally. Uh, there's a lot of, of things that are are not to like about what's going on, but we can still enjoy the D&D product. Now, yeah, the the, the game itself is not something I'm upset with. For me, the, the biggest problem here is just one of, for me, the first one is just one of convenience and actual money. Yeah. Like, I just don't have the money. But another one is the fact that with all the stuff that's been going on, do I want to give them my money? Yeah, and there's, and there's more, too. There's a lot of stuff that's been coming out over the last few weeks. And I want to go into that a little bit because I think it is important to, to sort of talk about what's evolved since our last recording. And we talked about the open gaming license, and this was before any official statement from Wizards of the Coast about what they were going to do with it, what the reaction was going to be. We talked about that there was going to be a period of uh, a new release, an updated version of it, and then a feedback period. And then they were going to respond with that feedback after that feedback period of two weeks and determine what they were going to do. Um, 
Matt, do you want to talk about what their decision was after essentially getting bombarded maybe. with a uh, no, don't do this? Well, Liz, go ahead. You were saying something. I, I'm, I'm saying maybe we should start by recapping the story so far for people who haven't maybe oh, entirely been following. Well, why don't I do um, that? I'll do that. I'll do the recap and then Liz can talk about sure, what happened. Sure, let's go, go with that. That works. Uh, basically, uh, at this point, I, I want to say a month or so ago, uh, I think it was around January 12th, but I don't, I don't remember for sure, but uh, let's just say a month. A month ago, Wizards of the Coast basically had a leak. They didn't announce this. This needs to be clear. They did not announce this. This wasn't publicly announced. They had set up some kind of private channel with, I guess, retailers and influencers and people to distribute what their their current plans were for the OGL going forward, what, what they were calling OGL 1.4. And amongst the, the things that this OGL did that that were objectionable were clauses that would have given them complete ownership of anything you published under the OGL that they could do anything they wanted with it and then pay you nothing. Like if you wrote a, let's say you wrote a campaign setting about like, you know, elf doctors, like it was like an, an elf medical soap opera game using the, 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 the five E rules. And it became very popular for some reason, like, because people like elf soap opera. I mean, you know, I look at world of Warcraft uh, and because of that, Wizards could then say, okay, that's cool. Uh, and they could just take your entire book and publish it themselves and sell it on their site. And there was nothing you could do. And that's just the first objectionable thing here. Um, there were, you know, they wanted to get a cut of people's Kickstarters. Uh, we, we, we talked about how anybody who's making more than $750,000 a year, which is admittedly not that many people, but anybody who was making that, that amount of money would have to give Wizards something like, like 25 percent uh and you're you'd have to give them i think the sim was it 20 or 25 percent on the kickstarter thing any 20, kickstarter uh, like, it was 25 20 percent for kickstarter sorry go ahead liz it was 20 for kickstarter 25 for other crowdfunders kickstarter was going to be their preferred crowdfunding partner requiring a low royalty cut yeah, they they were making a deal basically, and and there's more to this, but like seriously, we'll be here all day if I list everything that was objectionable about this. Uh, but the the biggest one was that up till this point, the argument for the OGL has always been, well, if if you know if you as the people using this don't like a new one that Wizards puts out, you can ignore it and just use an older one, and that's exactly what people were doing and have done for years uh, when. Wizards put out D&D 4th Edition with a much more restrictive license that wasn't the OGL. People ignored it in droves and continued to publish uh, stuff that was compatible with 3rd Edition and 3.5 to the point where that's how we got Pathfinder. The original Pathfinder, Pathfinder 1st Edition, is basically D&D 3.75. It's an upgrade and redesign, but it's still basically on the same bones. And so... This time around, Wizards was like, well, the first thing we got to do is get rid of that. So they, in their document that that, that was, they basically flat out said, we're going to deauthorize the original OGL. You're going to have to, you're going to have like not even a lot of time. I forget how much time it was, but it was like, you know, you're going to basically, if you want to publish things, you you have to use our new OGL. Essentially, it was like having a financial gun pointed at the head of, of anybody who's using the OGL currently. A lot of, there's a lot of game, of game publishers out there who are using the OGL and they all would have basically been faced with this choice. So that was pretty bad. And as a result of it, there was kind of like, I I don't want to call it a revolt, but I don't know what else to call it. Like, you know, a lot of game companies were like, no, thank you. An industry wide visceral reaction. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was significant to the point where like YouTube was absolutely flooded with content creators who are like, look, I make videos about this game on YouTube. Am I have to give them like 25% of my money? Like, you know, and, and one, one other thing I'm going to mention, and then I'm going to throw it over to Liz is that this is something Liz pointed out. And that's why it's a good segue to her. The language of this new OGL was such that they had the right to force you into arbitration anytime they wanted. They had the right to use your stuff any way they wanted. And they had the right to change the terms of this, of this OGL anytime they want. And they could change it on a case by case basis, meaning that if they decided that you couldn't, you didn't, shouldn't be publishing D and D stuff, they just flat out wouldn't let you. And they could do that, and they justified that by being anti hate speech and anti harassment, which is great. We like not hate speech and not harassment, but the language they chose 
was such that they could do it for any reason at any time. Like they was- could just decide we want more money. So you have to pay us more or you're done. Yeah. And there was no clarification on the terms either. Right. So like mm-hmm. they, they used terms like harmful and, and things like that, but there was no definition within it. So it was essentially because they're the controllers of the license or the ones that own it. It would be whatever they had deemed was uh, classified as that. Right. Yeah, so. so, but now go ahead, Liz, take us through what's going on now. Sure. So, I mean, this original thing was just terrible for content creators. If you made any kind of D&D content, part of this was because this was a leak, as Matt said, and uh, there wasn't a lot of clarity about it. There wasn't clarity about who it was, who it would affect. So you had you had YouTube content creators, you had podcasters, you had all sorts of different people in the D&D community was wondering, is this is this going to affect me? Because I talk about D&D on my podcast because I make videos about D&D. Is this, am I not going to be able to do this anymore? Am I going to have to report all my financials to Wizards of the Coast and give them 20% of everything I make? And uh, it would have even applied to things like homebrew content, like homebrew content you've made that you may publish beyond, which can share homebrew content. So I think, Matt, you were saying that the community was in a revolt, and I think that's pretty fair. Everyone was up in arms like mad against this. Uh, we even had uh, D&D, everyone was canceling their D&D Beyond subscriptions because, you know, as an act of protest. And um, it was going to the point where D&D Beyond's uh, subscription page was down. You could not cancel your subscription because the sub- subscription page was just non-existent. Uh, and, but there was there was good side to all of this revolt, which is that uh, Wizards of the Coast noticed. <laughs> Wizards of the Coast noticed, probably Hasbro noticed, uh, because they have actually completely, they really completely walked this back. I was astonished. They have said that everything in the in the systems resource document, the SRD, is now available under a Creative Commons license. That is 400 pages of the core rules of D&D 5e, including classes, spells, monsters, all available under a Creative Commons license. You can take it and do what you want to it as long as you attribute it back to Wizards of the Coast. You say they made it, but I'm t- I'm using this stuff from it. Uh, it's it's a playground. D&D 5e is our playground now. We can do whatever we want in 5e. You can make all kinds of content. We do not owe Wizards of the Coast any royalties, no matter what kind of content you create. And I mean, this is this is the best thing they could have possibly done. They've walked back. The, their, all of their edits, all of their royalty stuff, all of the stuff about claiming ownership. And now it's just like, okay, the 5e SRD is available under a Creative Commons license, and you can use it as you see fit. I think this is great. I think this is an amazing step. And I think it's a very smart move for Wizards of the Coast. It is pretty it's, much the only move uh, they could have made. Yeah. Well, well it's I mean, they could have not I mean, made they, it. They could have just not done it and they, got, let things get they worse. Fair. They could have dug in. They could have dug in. And that's kind of corporate America. That's what I would think the average corporate America big company would do. You dig in and say, no, this is mine. This is mine. I want to make more money. I need to have enough money to swim in uh, Scrooge McDuck style. But uh, no, I think this was the smartest decision they could have made. But I think it may be too late. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely, Uh, a lot of people have realized that up until this point, here's the thing. Up until this point, the OGL had a, unblemished record of use like from the time in 2004 i want to say when it was yeah. first when it first debuted up until now so it's a solid 19 years it had an unblemished record of use and people trusted it they trusted what was told what that was told to them by hasbro and wizards of the coast that they could not you know the the, the document would always be there and if you didn't like it you could use an older version that was the one you did like um, and, and as a result of that, in, people trusted it to make their, their businesses on. Go ahead, Liz. In fact, we've already seen this happen because uh, when D&D 4th Edition came out, they tried to release it under something that was not the OGL. It was uh, the games resource license. or They yeah, had a whole like new that. license that was, that was much more restrictive, kind of like they were trying to do with the new OGL right now. Except, you know, when they rolled it out, everyone just kept using the old OGL. That uh, where you could access third editions, they just yeah. they just kept using the old one because the new one was so bad because it was so it was so restrictive and basically um, 
I don't know whether to say, well, Wizards of the Coast learned nothing from that, or whether to say, oh, they learned the exact right lesson from that because they were like, okay, if we want to change this agreement to be more draconian, first we have to get rid of the original agreement, which is what yeah. they were trying to do. I mean, the answer is the answer is probably both, right? <laughs> I don't. The thing is, I still don't believe that this was an idea that the average person at Wizards of the Coast, especially no. the game design people, it, wanted them to do. And and I and I, no. I do want to take a moment to shout out like some content creators that were covering this uh, during the time frame. There's a lot of them, um, but like channels like D and D Shorts were actually covering like what they were hearing from internal sources, and that is actually very important. Um, because internal sources, the leakers and people who work there who are upset with this decision-making were letting things out, uh, at very great risk to their own livelihoods and, and, you know, their jobs and possibly their standing in the industry, because let's face it, wizards is the 9,000 pound gorilla that sits in the corner and, and is sort of like the biggest, the biggest aspect of, of the tabletop industry, right? It's, it's the largest one, um, you know, where they're, they're talking about, you know, the people that are making these decisions, some of them don't even play D&D, yet they're in charge of products or they're in positions of power or somebody who might understand is so hands off on the product and the management team that there's no oversight. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it was an interesting look at how relatively disjointed upper management seems to be and how out of line it was, not just with the product that they produce, but the consumers of that product. Right. I'm going to say this too, by the way, um, back in, I want to say September or October of last year, Ray Winninger stepped down rather abruptly as, as studio head for Dungeons and Dragons, basically the, the chief game designer, the guy who tells everybody else, this is the project you're going to be working on. You know, here's what we want out of it. That guy. And they didn't say much at the time. Like, I, I don't even think I noticed because it was so low key, but then when this stuff started coming down, it made a lot of sense to me because I, you know, I've not, I don't know Ray Winninger. We're not friends or anything like that, but I've been watching the man work for, for at this point, decades. And he was a member of the yeah. community. Absolutely. And more importantly, he understood because he'd been there, how important the OGL was to Wizards of the Coast's development. Um, the OGL, people keep thinking about the OGLs, the way creating, the way people who are creating can, you know, get and use D and D rules in their creations. And it is absolutely that, but why is that something you want as the company that owns the rights? Why would you want people to be doing that? Because unlike in other fields where the, the impetus is on a work as a piece that you consume, this is collaborative storytelling. It only yep. works if people are invested in it and want to use it. And by making theirs free for that purpose that, that people could make their little adventures or what have you, you give them the freedom to do so. And in return, they are spreading you that, that all right over there. the thing they're, they're, you know, making your game, the one everybody plays. Yeah. And, and think about that. That's, that's part of the reason why D and D became so ubiquitous with like tabletop role-playing games is because you can make a one shot, one page adventure in the rule set for charity streams or for, you know, introduction game nights at, you know, the, your local game store or a kid's night or anything like that. And if somebody really enjoyed it, they could go, Oh, where do I get more of this? But it was such a, an e content creators and, and people out there were making easy to digest content that was introducing whole new generations to the product. Like the, there's a turn trying to think of how to phrase this. Like in retail, there's this thing where if you're my customer, that's great. And I'm going to treat you with all the respect that I can, because you're helping me keep the lights on and food on my table. But I also really care about the impression that I make upon you because at the end of that day, you're going to go and you're going to tell your friends and you know, you're going to spread the word. Right. And it's the same thing for content creators in the, in the tabletop space, like for D and D it's why like local game stores are so important. You want people to run those games because if somebody walks in and says, Oh, Hey, what are they doing? That seems like they're having fun as they're laughing at that table and seem to be really enjoying themselves and they're having a great time. And then that's how you grow your audience. That's how it stays relevant. Right. And by limiting that, by, by trying to put something out that sort of takes that away, you're 
disincentivizing folks from using it, from making that content. Like, why am I going to make a one page thing or even more magic items or an adventure or anything and publish it under the new OGL when I'm not going to own it and you can just erase me from it. And I've done the work of introducing more people to your product to help support your business, but you're pushing me out. Like it, it was, it was bad. Like it was not heat, heat death of the universe bad, but it was, it was pretty bad. Like it, it's, they were, they were almost like cutting off their nose to spite their face. And it was pretty well, apparent. What was it? I think Liz, you were the one who said this. It, it felt an awful lot like, you know, th- some lawyer who had never played uh, D&D in their life wrote this document when you saw the leaked version. That was something yeah, you said? It just, yeah, something like that. I mean, it, this did not feel like something a player wrote. It was very much a, a legalese. It was very strict. It was, it just did not feel like something that came from the people who made the game who promoted the game, who loved the game, because I know there are a lot of good people at Wizards of the Coast who love D&D and love the community, but this did not sound like something that any of them would have written or supported. This this sound, it felt very corporate. And it was definitely, it was definitely not written realizing it was going to an audience of people who uh, spend hours and hours of their day staring at arcane list of rules, looking for new ways to min-max and ins and outs. Uh, they they did not know their target audience at all. <laughs> yeah. This is exactly, this. these are the people who are going to read the whole terms of service and they're going to find the loopholes and they're going to they're gonna use them. They're going to argue with you about them. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, I do want to talk a little bit about the industry response to it, because Matt Matt talked about this before mm-hmm. with the, the revolt, because the revolt wasn't just limited to consumers, right? Oh, there- no, no, absolutely. Uh, in fact, um, there's a post up on Paizo talking about, this was on Thursday, January 19th. The post talks about the companies that have joined their ORC movement. The, uh, the ORC Alliance, yep. Yeah, it's it's long. It's it's a lot of companies. Like, like- you want me to read all of them? No, but I mean, like, let, let's talk well, about some of the ones that people might have known, like, like Chaosium, which maybe, is, sorry, go ahead. I mean, maybe we should start by saying what the ORC is, yeah, which is maybe. an alternative, an alternative to the OGL. It's a open system designed for many companies to come out and publish their game rules so anyone can use them. The so open, the open RPG creative license. For- yeah. Yes. And the interesting Our thing about it too work. is that it is basically it it it's targeting the thing that wizards could theoretically have done, the fact that the the OGL is an a license owned by Wizards of the Coast so they can revoke it at will and their license will not be owned by them. They're going to create they're going to craft it and then they're going to have set up a foundation and that foundation will own it and it won't have anybody from these companies on it. That's and really that's interesting. The, and that's the interesting thing about Wizards of the Coast finally releasing the SRD under a Creative Commons license. They do not own Creative Commons. Exactly, They cannot yeah. undo that like they were trying to with the OGL. Now it's just out there. And that's interesting because if they decide that that's going to replace the OGL, um, that's a big seismic shift here. And it could mm-hmm. it could stabilize the, the Exodus, but the Exodus is real. People are... Stri- already- I've, I've, hmm, go ahead. It's... I- yeah, the problem is the exodus is already happening. It was happening before Wizards of the Coast came and made this, you know, pretty well, big move to put the SRD out. And not only that, because it was a length of time, too, right? Like, there was about a month yeah. between, and, like, it getting leaked and any really official response. And then getting I think to- it was a few weeks. And then the first response was just bad. It was such a mess. Oh, we rolled a one. It didn't help at all. <laughs> it helped in that it was like so bad that I think that somebody grabbed somebody and said, you rolled a one. Did you really did you roll a one? I want you to come up with an actual statement now because it was, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was terrifyingly bad. It was, it was sitting there like going chuckle, chuckle, huh? We're all gamers. Right. And, and the rest of the people you're talking to are like, was, you just stabbed me in the foot, man. Yeah. It's like when you get chuckle, chuckle, man, you stabbed me in the <laughs> It's. It's like when you have a gaming event and they've hired someone to like read the script and they're reading gamer jokes, but they don't understand gamers at all and it all comes out wrong. That's kind of what it felt like. Well, nice callback to 
every BlizzCon for like the <laughs> first ten years of them. But Jay Moore, was, hey, Jay was, Moore has no idea who we are. But in, and and I do want to go back and, to some of these companies that that sort of you know started popping onto the Orc license or the the uh, the Orc Alliance as it's called, and and sort of had visceral reactions to it, right? Arcane Minis, who uh, is one of the only producers of like Spelljammer-esque miniatures right now and has been for a little while, uh, and one of the quickest funded 3D printing uh, uh, Kickstarters in the history of it happening. Bombshell Miniatures, Chaosium, makers of uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, the DM Layer, we're talking about Evil Genius Games, Epic, Epic Miniatures, Fantasy Grounds, which is a virtual tabletop, uh, Foundry VTT, uh, Free RPG Day, which is an organization that works with all of the RPG companies to try to spread tabletop RPGs with, through local game stores and providing free product. Gale Force 9, who's been a titan in the tabletop industry for both wargaming and miniatures and tabletop role-playing forever, uh, like at least two decades, maybe three at this point. Goodman Games, Green Ronin, The Griffin Saddlebag, one of the content creators that is highlighted most most uh, regularly for their creation of 5th edition uh, compatible magic items. Cobalt Press. Uh, who's another large tabletop creator that uses fifth edition. Uh, like there's, these are not small companies. Monty Cook Games, uh, of course, Paizo, Pinnacle Entertainment, who makes Savage Worlds. Uh, like these are, these are not small companies. These are literally every competitor for Wizards. Hey, that, Roll20 is on this. Roll20 is on this. They're, they're official partner. Yeah. So it, it is pretty astonishing to see like you know some of these companies you probably haven't heard of but even the ones you haven't heard of have a pretty big role and reputation in all this you know i mean none of these companies are what i would call second raiders um they're smaller obviously because everybody is smaller than wizards wizards is the again as joe pointed out the nine thousand pound gorilla here but absolutely like mad cartographer mm-hmm I've seen I've seen tons of Mad Cartographer stuff. They do amazing work. There's just there's a lot going on here. This when Liz basically mentioned that it's like a revolt and it may be too late to stop it. I, I this goes back to what I was saying before about the goodwill that the OGL used to have. The OGL was was trusted. People trusted it. They trusted that it would be there and that it would when they were told that it would be irrevocable that it would be that that you could always go back and use an older version. And now they realize well. That's only true if Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro, which owns Wizards of the Coast, don't decide to change it. And as a result, that that goodwill and that trust has has evaporated. And now nobody trusts Wizards, even if even though Wizards has done something and and everybody who's talked about it has said, yes, this is a good move, but we're still gonna do our thing. Like yeah, the Orc Alliance is still going forth with their license. Cobalt Press is still coming up with their own game system. Obviously, Paizo already has their own game system. Lots of, but like the very fact that Chaosium is even involved in this, because Chaosium does not have a dog in this fight. Chaosium does not publish a lot of Five E stuff. I think they did one. They have they, they have a the, small subset of Cthulhu books that were recently released yeah. under the Fifth Edition OGL. Yeah. They, they did the Sandy Peterson stuff like Sandy Peterson presents monsters for, mm-hmm. you know, five E type things, but them coming in, that's, you know, Chaosium is one of one of the very few companies that's ever beaten wizards of the coast. Although technically it was TSR at the time in court. Like they went and said, you can't publish uh, these, the Elric of Melnibone stuff because we have the Stormbringer game and you absolutely can't publish call of Cthulhu stuff because we have a call of Cthulhu game. That's where you that's where they switched that. to Star Children instead of Elder Gods and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. So there's going to be a lot of fallout to this for years, and I don't see a path for Wizards to come out of it. Like this is not going to be a blip. This is not just ooh, we had a hiccup. We rolled a one, guys. Sorry, no. Y- y- y'all, y'all didn't it, just roll a one. You showed up at the game <laughs> drunk and you peed all over everybody. Because well, that—that's the level of outrage we're looking at here. And the other aspect of that is this is a community that does not is not quick to forget uh where we're like tabletop players remember things that happened in tabletop games 30 years ago they may not remember their own like name some days or where they live or maybe how they got to work or whatever but they'll remember that time that they crit on the vampire lord in the crypt uh at the pivotal moment to save the day or or, or things like that we don't forget this and and like it's 
it is going to have long repercussions, right? And part of it, I think, is actually in in here's sort of the silver lining. It's a good thing. And and here's why I'm going to say that. Now you have people who are doubling their efforts and using this to showcase what else is out there because this is D&D is sort of again it's it's the quintessential tabletop game it's what everybody knows it is the the thing that whenever somebody talks about tabletop role play they always think of Dungeons and Dragons it's almost synonymous in use with it but there's so many games out there and we've talked about them before we've covered them on the website uh, and we'll continue to talk about them and play them on our live plays when we get the opportunity to. And now people are starting to branch out because they're now they're starting to realize this stuff might be taken away from me or, you know, or they're realizing what we talked about at the beginning. They can't keep up with the rate of pr- of pro- print production or they can't keep up with wizards and, and their monetization of the product. So they're looking at other things. And I see it. Yeah. And I see it at the store level, right? Like we're making a decision to not order new books for D and D because our player base has stopped asking about them and we'll special order them when we're asked for it, but we're not going out of our way. We've, we've reached out to like companies like Paizo or any of the and magpie and all of the other various uh, tabletop producers that have deals in place. I'll tell you right bring now their stuff in, right? Yeah. Right now, if magpie, manages to capitalize on the fact that they probably have the most popular IP in ever in gaming as a game that they have if the avatar game, they need to capitalize on that. That because this is the time to do it. Yeah. And and, and people people really people who don't care at all about role playing games wanted an avatar role playing game. Yeah. And there's also one th- though, I will say one other thing before you, you come in. If you are burned out or feel like you can't keep up with Wizards of the Coast release schedule. I am not sure Paizo is any better for you. <laughs> like those guys, I, those but, guys drop a lot of books. But but their content is actually, also relatively free in a lot of cases yeah. too. Sorry, go ahead, Liz. Liz. I I was actually you know I kind of keep a calendar of upcoming releases, and I was like, oh, I should keep a I should keep a closer eye on other gaming companies because we're gonna. I really think we're gonna see other companies flourishing in this environment. And I like was looking up the upcoming releases schedule for Paizo and it's like three books a month. And I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. no, I, uh, well, yeah. if there's a month, there's stuff coming out. Yeah. And, so, and, so, and some of that is, a, as I say, some of that's a adventure path though, too, right? Like, yeah, and some so, of it is in the adventure path, which is the big deal about how Pathfinder works as opposed to D and D instead of having the collections, like the, uh, the, the vault, they have, uh, like the adventure path, which will be an adventure coming out every couple of months until the whole thing is yeah. out. And it's mm-hmm. basically a campaign that you can play as individual adventures. And then the book so comes out afterwards, that. which is the consolidation but, of it. Yeah. But, but at the same time, Paizo does not, they, they are, they are machines. They, they put are. out a lot of stuff. So that's just something yeah. I felt like needs to be said. Now, the one thing that I did want to talk about though, too, is, is real quick. And I wanted to, to, to switch gears a little bit. When we talk about that, this is going to be long reaching. It's still going on, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and to say that we haven't forgotten about it, it's, it's hard to, because now you have like Kyle Brink, who was at the face of a lot of the communication after the leak and was sort of kind of thrown out there to sort of fall on the sword for everybody is now making the rounds uh, for interviews, right? They're, they're going to start seeing interviews popping up everywhere. In fact, I want to, uh, shout out Three Black Halflings, which is a great podcast on the HeadGum, uh, Headgum Network uh, and al- absolutely hilarious live play. They're fantastic folks. Um, normally, I don't shill other people's stuff very often, but go listen to their stuff. But they had Kyle Brink on there and they had an interview and it was a good long interview. It was an hour and 20 minutes uh, and there was nothing, quote unquote, off the table. And while I'm not going to recount an entire hour and 20 minute interview, I highly recommend you go to their YouTube channel and read it. There was some takeaways from that. One is that the OGL fiasco is far reaching. Like it caught the attention of not just wizards of the coast executives, but Hasbro executives and their shareholders. They are now keenly aware of the level of their misstep and they are trying to run damage control and doing so unsuccessfully. Uh, two, there is a lot of uh, speech being in there that, you know, Kyle is saying, like, I should have had more of my team on there and, and involved and stuff like that. But it almost feels forced, which 
again, could be the corporate line that he's being told to toe. I don't know Kyle. I don't know him from, you know, random dude on the street. So I don't know him personally or anything like that. Uh, three, that they're, they're, a lot of this is that they don't, the only thing that made them react is the money situation. It was how much they were losing on D&D Beyond, how much was going back from that, and that there's probably going to be more oversight now on the product and what happens. Uh, that's really like the big highlights from there uh, as far as I'm concerned, but it's we're going to see more of it. We're going to see more conversations. We're going to see them talk about how they messed up and uh, they're going to try to do the whole thing where they they maybe try to clean up their reputation a bit, but even like, and again, shout out the three black halflings. They were not backing down from asking the hard questions about that and, and really representing the community of, you know, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what, how do you guys feel about what they're doing with their PR campaign right now or, you know, anything like that. So I'll, I'll kick it over to you to teach your thoughts on where they're at currently. And I guess we'll start with Liz. They're just going to have to make a massive effort to regain the trust they've lost. It's It takes a long time to build trust and build community and to build what D&D had, but it can be lost in an instant by having this leak and letting it go for so long without any kind of response and then having this tone-deaf response and going just weeks and weeks without stepping in to do anything about it. They did finally come to the right decision. They put out the SRD under Creative Commons. That's the best thing they could have done for themselves, for the game, and for the community. But it took too long to get there, and they made a lot of missteps along the way. To regain that trust, it's going to take years, and it's going to take a lot of effort. They're going to have to get out in front of people and say, hey, we do care about the community. We want you to create content for D&D. We want you to play D&D. We want to support you in doing those things. I think they're doing the right thing, but it's going to take a lot of time to even just get back to where they were before this started. Do you think the covenant has just been, it really is a covenant, right? Like the covenant has been broken, right? Like, and I'll kick it over to Matt. Like you mentioned earlier that, People relied on the strength of the OGL, uh, and this showed is actually like, in essence, how fragile that really is. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in other ways throughout life that sometimes things that you think are ironclad are really just kind of like gentlemen's agreements, uh, and and the only thing holding them together is people's belief in them. Uh, the, the OGL here is definitely going through a situation like that where um, the initial response by a lot of people who drafted and, and helped to get the OGL created was, wait, you can't do that. Like it's, it's not, you know, we, we deliberately like, set uh, it up so you couldn't do that. Like what Lisa Steven, Lisa Stevens and Jim Butler. Right. And then, yeah. uh, Brian and, Lewis. Uh, yeah. Brian Lewis. Uh, and then of course, Ryan Dancy. These are all folks that were running. there at wizards when the OGL 1.0 was created. Yeah. And they, so when that happened, Liz is really right. Everything Liz said is right. I don't want to just repeat it. But the thing I'm going to focus on is this idea that when you break something, when you when you knock the thing off the, the pedestal and it smashes, uh, all the glue in the world ain't going to make it the way it was. Um, there's there's a Japanese art, and I can never remember the name of it, but when they have broken pottery, they will actually put it back together with gold so the breaks and cracks are visible so people can see them because there's no point in trying to repair it so that the, the, that it's seamless. You can't do that. You can only acknowledge what happened. That's where we are right now with Wizards of the Coast and the community. And I'm like I said, I was, I've seen a lot of people that I used to watch for D&D content are moving to other games or just don't, they're not doing anything. Like there's a lot yep. of uncertainty. Even now, there's a lot of uncertainty in, in the community. I mean, yes, the, the, the SRD move for five for, for the fifth edition SRD going to creative commons. That's great. But I mean, there's also stuff like wizards is still obviously eyeing VTTs and does not like virtual tabletops because and wants to make their own. Yeah. Because they're, they're um, actively producing their own. And then now stuff has come out from interviews that the entire reason they bought D and D beyond was to destroy it, which is like, I mean, 
the idea of buying D&D Beyond because you hate it and you want to get rid of it and replace it with your own. It's like, no, you've just bought it. Now it is your own. You don't have to do anything. Like, just what? I mean, what am I hearing here? Like, this makes no sense. And so there's a I lot mean, of stuff I, going on. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I mean, I really felt that they did buy it to, you know, integrate it and become their official thing because they didn't have anything like this. You know, it would have taken years to develop something that was even on the same level. So it's like, do the big corporate thing and just buy it and then own it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, is that that makes sense. And I think it's what a lot of people involved thought was going on, but they were still making internally uh, their, their, their D and D beyond replacement. Even after they bought it, it's still under development. Uh, It's like project open sky or something like that. Yeah. And that's just this. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we don't really know. We're not getting that is still obviously affecting the the path forward. And I think the community has proved that if if Wizards calls their bluff, they will straight up leave. Like the companies that have been supporting them through using their the OGL will make their own. Are going to make their own no matter what. So they have security. So they don't have to worry about wizards deciding they don't like it, that people publish things and will stop them. Like there's, there is not going to be the the way it was is not the way it will be. Let me just stop with that. That's, that's what I'm, what my big takeaway is. The things have changed. It's different now and it will continue to be going forward. You're saying less. I mean, Paizo, Paizo has specifically gone out and said, we are willing to fight wizards if they decide to, you know, make an issue about this, decide to try and revoke things because that wasn't the spirit of the original agreement. So we know there are companies out there who are going to stand up and say, no, this is not okay. This is not what was ever meant to happen with this. Uh, And we've seen that there are other companies, this has given so much visibility to other companies out there, to all of these small press, press publishers that... You know, now and content that, creators. Joe was saying, now that yeah, now that the covenant has been broken, it really opens the floodgates for these other content creators to get out there and show us all what they can do, what they have to offer. Because I think if nothing else, this has made everyone in the industry, maybe people who were mainly interested in D&D, mainly participated in the D&D community, that there's a lot else out there. If if Wizards of the Coast had decided to shut the OGL down and to lock out a lot of independent content creators, they have other options. They have a lot of games out there. And, and, and that's something that's just something I, I that's just something I don't think the community as a whole necessarily realized. Because a lot of people have come into DD because of the community, because they were watching Critical Role, because they saw this on YouTube from someone, and then they started getting into the game. And they may not be uh, aware of how much is out there. This just offers so much opportunity for the growth of other companies. And I yeah, think that's I mean, going to be, that's going to be really interesting. And, and I, I was going to say anecdotally, and, and there are some hard numbers here as well. Uh, there's evidence of this, right? Uh, a lot of these companies are going on emergency print runs to get copies of their books out because mm-hmm. it, during this time frame. Paizo sold out their entire printing that was currently available of Pathfinder books everywhere. And anecdotally, I know that to be fact because I can't, I, I can't get them in. They're on, they're on delay. And we sold out completely because, and I mentioned this last time, but it's still going on. We still get people who are coming in to the store and asking what else is there? What else can I play? What other things are, what are like this, but, but, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit different, like point me in a direction. You know, I've seen more power by the apocalypse books, uh, like monster of the week sold in the last like month than I have in the last year. I've seen more people pick up Starfinder, a game that came out in 2017, uh, and is arguably the blueprint for pathfinder second edition, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. Um, that, you know, isn't nearly the player base that pathfinder is, those books are all selling out too. Uh, Pathfinder, obviously, uh, people are buying Cobalt Press stuff, uh, which are like they have rules agnostics uh, books with like deities and campaigns and magic spells and potions and 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 brewing. And those books are flying off the shelves too. And it's interesting because all these people that maybe 
ignored that section of the bookstore to go grab the latest D&D supplement are starting to realize that they're like Liz is saying, there's so much more out there. And in some cases, so much more you can buy with that same 50 bucks. And I want to I, I want to throw that out there, too, because like D&D is expensive. Buying those books is expensive. We didn't talk about this earlier. We talked about the, the 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 crushing flow of content. But in the U.S., that's fifty dollars a book average. Right. There's no soft cover version. If you buy a digital version, you might get it for 30, but it's a digital version. You can't hold it. And then you have companies like Paizo, who, again, they, they're a company. They're going to make money. The hardcover book. Yeah. Is, is it is it 50, 60 bucks? Yes. They have a soft cover version called the pocket edition. It's the same book, 600 pages, slightly smaller, and it's 30 bucks. So for 30 for, for the same 50, 60 bucks, you can get the player. You can get the, the core rule book and the advanced player's guide which also comes in pocket form. All of their books come in a smaller form that are cheaper, which is a slightly low, lower barrier. And, and I'm sure Matt's going to correct me on this if I don't say it, but I'm, you know, they're also these companies that offer their core rules just for free off the bat. Like, yeah, like Pathfinder, yeah. go ahead. Talk about what they offer for free, right? Well, Pathfinder puts, you can go to the, uh, just one example. There's the archives of Nethys site that has the, the system reference documents for Pathfinder first edition, Pathfinder second edition and Starfinder. Uh, you can just get any, any information that's in any Pathfinder book about this game. You can get from that site. It's completely stripped of, of flavor text. Uh, it doesn't like have any of the, what they call crunch, uh, but it has all the rules you would need to run it. And it's completely free and it's online. You can just go get it anytime you want. Uh, that's just one company doing that. Uh, Green Ronin has a whole bunch of stuff. They do like that too. They're M&M Superlink type stuff. And, and uh, there's software companies like Demiplane, which is starting to mm-hmm. get into a little bit of prominence, which because they're an alternative to D&D Beyond that are starting to gain traction. Not only did they land a deal with Magpie to do their avatar stuff, Paizo's putting their Pathfinder and eventually their Starfinder content there, including yep. character creation, character information, and things like that. They even got Vampire. Yeah. Uh, which is a game a company that I haven't really talked much, but yeah. One of the things before we, I think we're getting close to moving we on are. to but I want to mention, I've seen a lot of interesting indie stuff that is kind of like looking at Dungeons and Dragons, and it isn't making a D&D like game, but it's sort of making a reaction game to D&D. Like the one I linked, I linked in uh, the D&D channel for the people who work here uh, is the Icon Playtest. It was created by the guy who created Lancer, which is one of those indie yeah. games that everybody seems to love. Uh, and it's like... In, indie, it's, indie mech battle game, by the way, for Lancer. Yeah, And it's it's kind of like you become the, the, it's it's like looking at the whole adventurers who explore dungeons and do stuff and it's like what if you made that like the core assumption of the world that this is something that happens that there are people who just professionally go raid tombs and and ancient dungeons and and bring back treasure and loot and you make that part of the world and it's interesting to see it coming from like a singular vision because D has not been from a singular vision in a very long time um and when it was from a singular vision, it wasn't necessarily the best singular vision. Uh, there's some stuff Gary put in the game that's really weird. Uh, Gary, I know you're dead, but you put some weird stuff in there, Gary. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, want, I just, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I, I do want to take the opportunity because we are coming up on time, though, to sort of gather our final thoughts. And I want to start with Liz. So if you wanted to either summarize your thoughts or, or where you're at with this all or, or what you want to impart to our listeners, what would you say right now about all this and what, what they have to look forward to in the future? I think this is a really exciting time for TTRPGs. And it seems a little weird to say that because it's all come from Wizards of the Coast making a huge bumbling mistake. But I think it's it's opened up so much opportunity. There are so many small press publishers who are going to get a chance to get attention, to get their books out there. And it's also going to mean that Wizards of the Coast is going to have to try harder to make really good content to compete. Because it's not just that they can release a book and it's a D&D book and everyone's going to buy it because now everyone's really, really aware that there are other things out there. There's a lot of other stuff they could play that is great. So I think it's a really exciting time. I think we're going to see a lot of cool games and adventures out there very soon. Matt, what about you? Uh, I think if I was trying to sum up everything, it would be that it's it's interesting. And it kind of reminds me of that thing like, you know, 
Like the only thing big enough to, to kill X is X. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wizards of the Coast <laughs> probably had an absolutely unchallengeable domination of the space. And the only thing that could possibly have stopped them was them doing this, which you would think like they, so they wouldn't cause it would hurt, but apparently they did because they believed they were completely unchallengeable to the point where they could do this and get away with it. And on the face of it, there is no reason that they shouldn't have. There's the, the idea that the entire hobby would rise up as one and go, you know, what just didn't, wouldn't occur to me. I, I did not see that coming. I did not see the level of, and I should, because I, I know role-playing people we're, we're all cantankerous. Uh, I should <laughs> not have been surprised, but I was because I'm so used to corporations just doing this kind of thing and, and getting away with it, that seeing this, this straight up, uprising and how swift and it seeing, was yeah the swift how swift it was mm-hmm. how 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 strident it was like the, there was not a lot of dithering like it, going to youtube at one point well, going to youtube in january was just video after video after video of people like like losing their minds and youtube's algorithm couldn't wait to show them to me I was like hey you like dungeons and dragons look at this person's anguish I'm like i, I don't want to see his anguish i want to see him having fun playing a game but i guess i can't blame you for this i have to blame wizards so you know, there we are so yeah this this was this was wholly avoidable um and getting as liz said climbing back from this is going to be a task and in in the meantime i really hope you're right and that we get a lot more diversity not just in terms of you know diversity in like you know the people represented and so forth but straight up diverse games where we we do more than just you know raiding dungeons where there's there's a lot of other stuff you can do in a role-playing game and there's a lot of different genres to explore too that that Mm -hmm. that are out there that you know aren't just fantasy different systems different genres there's all sorts of stuff you can do so that's 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 where my takeaway is i i want to jump in here with a little thing is you mentioned diversity and one of the things about diversity is seeing people of different races, seeing people of different backgrounds in our games, seeing that everyone can be a hero. And D&D is trying to make their game more diverse. They've been working on it, but sometimes they still make some pretty significant missteps here. So I, I think by opening up this up to more game companies, we're also going to see more diverse content. We're going to see more people just producing more stuff because D&D does have its specific vision and it's a limited vision because it's, you know, one company's vision and direction. And I wanted to add one last thing here at the end too, with my final thoughts, because everything Liz and Matt said is, is absolutely accurate. Another thing I want to say is don't feel bad about still playing D&D, right? And that's another thing that, that we didn't really talk about a whole lot, but there, there has been some backlash, not as much as, some other games out there. Um, but if you play and enjoy the game and you have the books, you have the books, you can still play and enjoy the game. Like the stories you tell are still your own. The stories that you share with your friends and your, your, the, your adventuring party are still yours. They're your memories to make. They're your time to spend with your friends. And if that continues to be Dungeons and Dragons, where you sit down at the table, go ahead. There's groups that come to my store of, of old timers that have been playing since the red boxes, right? Um, they still play the old boxes. Uh, there's people that still play second edition out there. There's people that still play GURPS and, and games that uh, existed in time immemorial. There's still people that play the Marvel D6 role-playing game from way back when. You can play whatever you want as long as you are enjoying yourself and telling your stories. And use this as an opportunity to to sort of internalize that a little bit, I guess you would say. Like, if you want to branch out, go ahead. If you want to stay where you're comfortable, go ahead. But stay vigilant, right? Make sure that you're paying attention to what's going on around you. Like we're talking about diversification and things like that. Maybe if you want to try something or you're looking for a little more adventure or you're looking for a little more fantasy plus, try Pathfinder. See if you like it. Or maybe if you want to see what, you know, Starjammer or Spelljammer could have been with Starfinder, go for it. It's there's no real wrong answer here as long as you are still enjoying what you're doing. And at the end of the day, really no company can take that away from you. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today. Unless there's anything else, either of you want to add. No, I'm good. Do 
If you do want to try out Pathfinder, there is a humble bundle right now with a massive amount of Pathfinder content. You can get just a ton of books digitally. Yep. I'm going to say straight up, I think Pathfinder 2nd Edition is one of the best role-playing games of the past 10 years. I, I really think it's a great system. And I mean, I, I've, I've, I've written posts about it. I've, I've talked about it. It's really good. But there are also other good games. I mean, Powered yeah. by the Apocalypse is a very flexible system, and it's one that was created basically for other people to use from the beginning. Uh, and it's going to be what Avatar uses. Uh, is what Avatar is using, because Avatar's mm-hmm. out now, right? Yes. It is, it is officially out. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's I, the other thing about the, the Canton hobby right, right now. You know, the, the hobby right now is basically constantly happening, so it's very hard to keep track of. But yeah, there's just there's a ton of good stuff. So. All right, friends. Well, I do want to thank you for joining us for this edition of, Blu- of Tavern Watch with Blizzard Watch, because these shows are made possible due to your generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast sign-in community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance in having your question answered on our podcast for the Q&A ads free site experience. I do want to take this opportunity to remind you that we do produce tabletop content here on the Tavern Watch imprint. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we're getting ready to record another episode uh, in which you can see exactly what uh, co-DM Matt has in store for us, uh, which is an interesting experience if you haven't listened to it. And I highly recommend you do. The Into the Weir series is a co-DM experience where Matt and I trade off uh, between adventure arcs uh, and seeing how the stories evolved between the two of us has definitely been entertaining for me and I hope it's been entertaining for you. Also, stay tuned to our other podcasts like Lore Watch and the Blizzard Watch podcast as we continue to try to bring you entertaining content. And with that, folks, we'll see you next time.